0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. John five nineteen 19-47 Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pore over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but don't think the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words?
1: Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? There should be a little more excitement in the air because we've got six people over here that are gonna get baptized in about 30 minutes. And then uh, 11 more in the next service and just uh, a small sample size of just God's work across this place, we're so grateful for. Um, today, as we jump into John 5, I want to put this thought in your mind. <clears throat> I was a sophomore at Iowa State uh, taking Religion 210, which somebody promised me was going to be an easy A. wasn't necessarily true. Uh, but in one of the classes, my professor stood up and made this argument. She said, Jesus never claimed to be God. That was just what others projected on him. That was the statement that she made. If you ever find yourself in a similar conversation and somebody brings that argument up, please just open your Bible to John five and to the text that we're in today. Can you do that? Because last week, remember, where did we leave off? Let's go back to verse 17 and look at verse 17 and 18. This is, this is what Jesus says. He says, my father is still working, I am working also. Do you remember what happened last week? Now, there's some in the room that weren't here last week, so I'll fill you in. Jesus just healed a guy who had been disabled for 38 years. That's a long time. That's pretty remarkable. Heals this guy, tells him to pick up his mat and walk, and the Jews are freaking out about this whole thing not because of the healing and like, wow, that's amazing. They're going the opposite way. They're like, hey, it's the Sabbath. You can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. And they're having an issue about what day of the week this whole thing happened and totally missing what's going on in front of them. So they're they're irate, they're worked up. And in the midst of this, like that they're all worked up, Jesus drops this phrase. Essentially he's saying, my father, the God of the universe is my father. My father's working, so am I. You see what he's doing there? It is abundantly clear that Jesus is claiming to be God. It'd be crazy to go, oh, he never claimed to be God. It is abundantly clear that he is claiming to be God. They can absolutely see it and hear it. And I think it's important for us to just pause here because I think there's this C.S. Lewis quote fits in so well here because often we want to take Jesus and put him in boxes that don't quite work for him. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He, He puts it so well. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. Like my professor was trying to do, oh, let's, let's talk about his teachings because he was a great teacher and a great leader and let's set aside his claim to be God. You can't do that. You either just label him a lunatic or a liar or you fall at his feet and call him Lord. Those are your three options when it comes to Jesus. It was very clear to them what Jesus is claiming here. And he is not backing down as we move forward here. I mean, he's only just taking the, the can of gasoline and just dumping it all over the fire here. And so let's read on, starting in verse 19. Jesus replied, I, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. See, Jesus right out the gate, knowing that they're furious at him calling himself equal with God and that God's his father, he immediately affirms, yes, I am God. But in making himself equal with God, he's not setting himself up as a rival to God. What he's trying to communicate is like, yes, the father fully God, I also the son fully God, fully worthy of worship. The father's fully worthy of worship, so am I. The Father's working right now, so am I. All of these things, we are equal in that, yet the Son is making it very clear, I'm not a rival of God. I, I've placed myself subject to the Father. Equally God, fully God, but the Son is subject to the Father. Watch how this plays out as he goes on. Jesus says, "'For the Father loves the Son, "'and he shows him everything that he's doing, "'and he will show him greater works than these "'so that you will be amazed.'" And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to those he wants. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. I want to just pause for a second because maybe you missed something there. I missed it the first handful of times I read this passage. So often we talk about how Jesus is zealous for the glory of the father, that people would, would give God, the glory that he deserves. Here, actually, in verse 22, it's going the opposite direction. Did you notice that? The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son so that. Why did he do that? Why did he give judgment to the Son? So that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Just as Jesus is zealous for the honor of the Father, the Father is zealous for the honor of his Son, and then this key sentence, if you've got a pen, underline the second half of verse 23. It goes on to say, anyone who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. If I could put a word in your mind this morning when it comes to the relationship between the Father, God the Father and God the Son, it's that they're inseparable. They are inseparable. The word honor here is used four times in one verse alone. Verse 23, the word honor is used four times. And the word honor here doesn't just mean respect, that you should respect Jesus like you respect the Father. It actually means more like a fixation of value. And so what Jesus is trying to say here is that if you don't value the son like you value the father, then you don't value the father. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Let me take this a little bit deeper now. Because we're told by a lot of people that we all worship the same God, we just go about it differently, right? You've heard that before. Let me just unpack this a bit. Because to Muslims, for example, Jesus was just a prophet. To Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, Jesus was a God, but we don't worship him like we worship the Almighty God. To the Hindus, they would say Jesus could be a God, and he's a great teacher, but nothing more. To those who are Buddhists, they would not say that Jesus is God, but that he's a a good teacher, maybe. To the new age mind, like my professor, Jesus isn't God, he's, he's just he's a good moral leader, right? Let me just make this really abundantly clear. When he says, anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the fathers who sent him, what he's trying to say is, All of those peoples and all of those groupings, Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, Buddhists, New Age thinkers, all of those people and I, Christian, we don't worship the same God. Jesus is the litmus test of all claims to know God. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. I don't care what you want to call it or how you feel about it. Jesus holds a monopoly on all claims to know God. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12, there's no other name given to us as human beings by which we must be saved. The name Jesus. There's no other path to God. This church, this is why we talk so much about being a sent people. This is why we must go because you cannot sincerely believe what we're talking about here. And not along with my friend Maddie's amen and yeses over here saying, this is what's true, that's true, that's true, that a person is only saved through Jesus. You can't sincerely believe that and it doesn't create a movement in this room where people get up off of these seats and go out into your workplaces and your dorm rooms and your classrooms telling people about Jesus. And it has to, if you sincerely believe this, bubble up a movement among our people that we're not just sent into this community, but some will then pack up their bags, say goodbye to the comforts of friends and family and stable jobs, and we'll move to other cities like Cincinnati and Gainesville and Columbia. And that some, if we sincerely believe this, will pack up their bags and leave the comforts of friends and family and stable jobs and go to places like Bangkok or Mumbai or Kunming, where you can stand on a street corner and watch a quarter million people walk by in the span of five minutes, and then it hits you like a tsunami. I've had this happen before where you realize you just watched 250,000 people walk by and it's very likely not one of them knows Jesus. You cannot believe that and that doesn't just rip you up inside. Because this is where Jesus is offensive and I'm not apologizing for it. His message is an exclusive message. There is no other way for a person to be saved. He has an exclusive message, but an inclusive mission but this offer is for anyone. Verse 24, he says that truly I tell you, anyone, anyone, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the simple beauty of the gospel. If you want to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this is it here in one verse. That anyone, regardless of where you live or what you've done or what sin is on your resume, anyone who hears these words that Jesus is speaking and believes has eternal life. See, Jesus isn't just helpful for life, as people will say around us. Jesus is the source of life. And notice here, this is probably the most important thing for you to catch. Notice the starting place is not neutrality. That you're standing here at this place of neutrality and death is on one side and life is on the other and you're going, hmm, which direction should I go? Where is the starting point in verse 24? Where are you at? You pass from death to life. When Jesus is speaking these words, he's speaking to spiritually dead people. They're walking around, they're breathing, but they're just corpses, all dead. You are born spiritually dead. And the offer of Jesus is that anyone who hears these words and believes them, notice this key word, circle this one, has eternal life. I'm not talking about like someday you'll have it or it's like this carrot, like, well, and if you do the right things for the next few years, then I'll, maybe I'll give it to you. The person who believes in that moment has eternal life. And you can walk in this room this morning as an enemy of God's, dead, spiritually dead, and could right now, in this moment, hearing these words, pause, drown out everything else I'm about to say, but pause right now and in your heart, go, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. I trust in you. And in this moment, you cross from death to life. I'll pause for you. If that's you. Notice how there's some parallels as we continue reading the rest of these verses. How verse 26 parallels verse 21 and speaking about how the life that we have is in Jesus, right? And just as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, this is verse 21, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. In verse 26, he says similar things. For just as the father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the son to have life in himself. Verse 27 parallels verse 22. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. In verse 27, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. He's repeated both of these things twice now to make it abundantly clear. The father, you almost envision right when the 16 year old gets his driver's license and is about ready to get the keys to the car. Parents, you're incredibly nervous because you know they're going to wrap that car on a pole at some point. God doesn't have any of that nervousness. There is complete confidence in the father to hand the keys of life and death to his son. That there's one person that determines whether it's life or condemnation and he, he gives it to, to Jesus. Watch where he goes with this. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good things to the resurrection of life but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. Did you catch that? Repeated phrases with a slight difference. I read that. That's stopped me dead in my tracks. I'd never noticed that before. And this became abundantly clear. Every person in this room Every one of you and every person that you will meet this week going about your business, every person and every one of you will be resurrected. It's why C.S. Lewis said, like, you've never met a mere mortal. As you're walking down the streets, look into the eyes of the people that you're walking past so casually and let it hit you that that is an eternal soul that is going to spend an eternity somewhere Every person will be resurrected. The key question is, what eternity will they experience at that point? Will it be a resurrection of life or a resurrection of condemnation? Because being born spiritually dead, if you remain neutral your whole life, you're gonna go straight from spiritual death to an eternity of condemnation. And what changes, what moves a person from being spiritually dead to an eternity of life, who determines that? Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, these are some incredibly bold claims. You could imagine the crowd around Jesus on hearing all of these things is getting pretty worked up. And the question I'm sure they were wanting to ask is, how dare you say these things? Who gives you the right and the authority and all that? So what Jesus does is he goes into kind of like, here's my credentials. Here's how I can back up my claims here. And what he'll do is first, and I'm just going to fly through these. It's a significant portion of our text, but I'll just fly over it. First thing he does is he points to John the Baptist. John the Baptist testified about me. He testified to the truth. So if you want to know Here's here's like one of the ways I'll back up my claims that I am God and that I hold the keys of life and death. Listen to John the Baptist. You're willing to listen to him. What did he say about me? But greater than him, look at the miracles that I've done. This guy over here, he's walking. He hasn't done that for 38 years. That's a big deal. Take note of that. But not only does he have John the Baptist, or these miracles behind him that can back him up, God himself, which that's a great thing to have on your side, right? That God would say this. Scripture also testifies that Jesus is God and has life in his name. And he points to Moses. Moses, what are your heroes in the faith? He testified about me. And yet you're not willing to believe. These are kind of his five ways that he kind of backs up these claims. I can make these claims because these five sources also affirm that I have the authority to do this. Now I don't have enough time to like unpack all of these but I just wanna highlight one of these really stinging indictments that he has for these Jews. It's in verse 39. He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. They would pour over the scriptures. Now their scriptures were a little bit different than ours because the New Testament wasn't written at this time. So when he's talking about the scriptures, what he's talking about is the Old Testament. I think it's good for us to pause just for a moment and kind of hear this, um, because often we can label the Old Testament as kind of like boring, confusing, hard to understand, not not much in there about Jesus, so like, what's the point? But did you hear what Jesus said? You you pour over scriptures, but you're totally missing that these, these testify about me. In fact, I, I brought this, this Bible up here to kind of make a, a little bit of a plug. I, I love this, this Bible. This is the Bible I gave to my oldest two boys. Uh, this is the NLT translation of the Bible, which means it's, it's very readable for like a younger age or my brain capacity. So uh, there's one way that I would make a plug for it. Uh, here's what I love about this Bible is they actually went through and highlighted uh, in blue all the times in the Old Testament where Jesus is referenced. Passages of scripture that would point to Jesus. I'll I'll hold up this one here. And these little blue boxes actually explain like how that passage in the Old Testament is pointing to, to Jesus. And so as my boys are reading their Bibles, they can see in the Old Testament where Jesus is at and then obviously in the New Testament like all of Jesus' words are in red letters and then even in the New Testament any that it's referencing Jesus, something that Jesus said or taught or promised that he made, it points to Jesus. And the thing that you realize when you're flipping through this is that Jesus is on every page. See, the, the scriptures themselves are not able in and of themselves to give life, to impart life. But... But the person that they point to, the person of Jesus, is. He is the source of life. And we're supposed to see that every one of these pages is is screaming his name. And they totally missed it. I don't want us to miss it. But they totally missed it. And he points out, he's like, I'm not accusing you. Moses himself is accusing you. Here's here's the example, I think, that, that highlights this. That's an example of like in the Old Testament, a passage that is pointing to Jesus, even Moses pointing to Jesus. This is Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 and 19. God speaking through Moses says this, that I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I commanded him. And I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. That's 1,500 years before Jesus comes. God is already pointing forward, trying to get them ready for this Messiah who's to come. And, and, they, and they missed it. He's standing right in front of them. The one that Moses had talked about is standing right in front of them. They totally missed it. And once again, this brings us back to a spot we've been at before as we've walked through the Gospel of John is how is it that the people could be standing there like with all of these evidences, just abundance of evidences before them, have Jesus standing right in front of them and yet not believe? The answer to that question is very revealing for us. And that's where I want to end today is in verse 44. I believe verse 44 hits at the anatomy of unbelief. Why people don't believe believe in Jesus. At its core, it gets to this. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't seek the glory that comes only from God? See, here's the issue. Unbelief at its core is not an evidence issue. It's not an evidence issue. It's a heart issue. Unbelief at its core is not an evidence issue. It's a who sits on the throne of your life issue. Unbelief isn't an evidence issue. You could play that game all day and God could continue to just go, does this help confirm? Does this bring it out? Does this make it abundantly clear? And you do that all day long. At the core of it though, it's not an evidence issue. It's an authority issue. You do not want to hand over the keys of your life to somebody else. You want to be God of your life, not Jesus. See, one of the lies that we can buy into as as people is that we believe that if we're just given all the facts, if you give me all the proof, all the evidences, you just give me the facts, I can make a good and wise and right choice. Guys, that's not true. Here's the proof, McDonald's. Right, can we agree on that? Like the fact that McDonald's sells somewhere around 7 million hamburgers a day is proof that if given the facts, we do not necessarily make good choices. In fact, our biggest choice when we go to McDonald's is we go, I know there's a billion calories in that double smokehouse bacon burger that they've got, but the big question I've got right now is, can I swap out my drink for a McFlurry? You've been there, which is why you're laughing at its core guys. We don't make decisions based on truth and facts. We simply do what we want to do. That's how we make our decisions. We do what we want. At the end, unbelief is not an evidence issue. The biggest barrier for you finding life in Christ is you. That's what verse 44 is saying. The biggest thing holding you back from God is not evidence, it's you. One of the crazy things that we're witnessing right now in our world is actually a rise in spirituality, which you go, that's a great thing, right? Things like prayer and meditation are becoming trendy, but at its core, these concepts of prayer and meditation that oriented around the things of God. They're actually oriented on a concept called self-love. You've heard this? Which is a beautiful religion for us as people because we already love ourselves. <laughs> so like, great. A spirituality that like mixes in like some level of like God and prayer and meditation but yet keeps me at the center of the universe. I like that. I mean, if you could design a religion that is perfect for us as a human race, that's it. We want salvation without surrender. We want all the perks that Jesus is offering without having to acknowledge the fact that we're broken. Here's the problem with self-love, and here's the problem of that whole world. If you go down that path, it'll only lead to disappointment, and here's why. Because you're disappointing. You cannot hold up under the weight of your own promises. Can I just ask, those who are in the self-love crowd, those that are trying to grab onto Jesus with one hand and keep holding onto the world with the other hand, can I just ask you real quickly, haven't you learned throughout the life that you've lived by now, whether it's 16 years, 24 years, 48 years, 72 years, haven't you been able to realize now that you can never satisfy yourself? Can't you recognize now that the life that you long for the reconciliation with God that you long for, the lasting happiness that you long for, you can't provide. In fact, what Jesus is trying to make abundantly clear here is that the only way to get that eternal life, that reconciliation with God, that lasting happiness is through surrender. It's through putting somebody else as the center of the universe. Letting God be God of your life and you waving the white flag. I surrender. And so here is Jesus, the God of life, offering himself to you this morning. I'm going to put the ball in your court and just ask you what's your next move? pray with me. I'm just going to give a simple invitation that if you're sitting in this crowd this morning and you've not put your faith in Jesus and you're going, how do I do that? What, what does that look like? I'm going to make it real simple for you and I just want you to follow me in just a simple prayer. I'll pray, but I want you to pray with me. If you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, just follow me. But God, I recognize my sin and the error of my ways. I recognize the path I've been heading down that I keep trying again and again to to fill up the void in my life. I I think it's gonna make me happy. I think it's gonna fix things. I think it's gonna make things better. It's only going to lead to disappointment, God, and I surrender. I'm going to stop running that way. I'm going to stop running from you, stop rebelling against you. I repent. God, it's the word that you gave us that, that is to turn from our ways, to turn and change our allegiance from allegiance to self to now a surrender to you, God. I pledge my allegiance, my allegiance to you. That God... It's in you that I place my faith. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust your words, I trust your promises. and God, I accept the life that is in Jesus. God, would you fill me now with your promise, Holy Spirit? Would you transform me? Would you make me into a new creation as you promise you will by faith? Make me a new creation. Fill me up and embolden me and use my lips. God, help us to be a people. Help me to be a person that can't hold in what you have done in my life. But God, I will declare your name wherever I go. And to whatever places you call me to, I will give up my life for you because I can't contain it. I'm not burdened by the call to go and to tell, but it's your love that compels me. Jesus, I love you. I surrender my life fully to you. Thank you for what you've done for me and for us. Amen.
0: This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.